Liquid is a is a peer to peer platform where instead of wagering against the house or wagering against a casino or DraftKings, you're wagering against your friends. So every single contest is played between two people. Our goal is for them all to be social, but you can actually also play against other players in the platform, and it's all head to head. Hey everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sportscast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, one of the co-hosts. I'm doing this as usual with my longtime podcasting partner, Joe Favorito. Joe, happy 2023. I'm proud to tell everyone or remind everyone or anybody who cares that this is approximately episode 300 or maybe even 301, but it is our seventh year, Mm -hmm. I believe, doing this. So it's kind of, we're at the point where it's hard to keep track. But Joe, uh, really good to see you. Hope you had a good break and a good holiday. Um, and a new year begins. What what say you? Well, the funny thing, as as for those who are so inclined, is our first episode was with Isis Tillis, who the day I thought of Isis Tillis, I look at Sportico, and lo and behold, there she is doing an op-ed in Sportico uh, That's right. last week that about funny. her career as a yeah. lawyer. So it was so gratifying to see where ISIS has gone from a WNBA player and telling stories about an appendicitis in Russia to, uh, to authoring a piece on, on the law and, and athlete availability uh, in Sportico, which aired, which published for anybody who wants to read it. And you can read it on Yahoo as well at the end of December. So here we are in January. And I'm excited about the year, Tom. I can't, uh, I'm excited about everything that's gone on already. And um, where things will be going. And, and I'd be remiss in saying, you know, the, the breath of fresh air, hopefully for people who are listening, that the DeMar Hanlon situation continues to work itself out was a miracle and a tribute to all that is good that the NFL does for player represent, representation. Really yeah. I mean, amazing. So. Yeah, I mean, what a, what an interesting week that it's unfolded. Uh, that was a Monday night game, right? Last last Monday. It was Monday night uh, I happen to be yeah, I happen to be watching live and um, like everybody else at first didn't realize the seriousness of it, but quickly learned that this, this was kind of an unprecedented event in NFL history. And one of the takeaways that I was just, you, I know you were too, and many of us who were paying attention, that was just so stunning was the immediate response vis-a-vis his, his charity, uh, which he had recently Incredible. started. I think within 24 hours, there was a million and then within 48 hours or 72 hours, there's a couple million. I think it's somewhere around 5 million now. 7 million was what I saw. Seven. That's crazy. That's just really nice. And I uh, I, I read this morning, by the way, that he addressed his team via Zoom, apparently from the hospital. Yeah, so, it's um, it's great. And it's, uh, you know, it shows the, the possibility of what science and technology can do and how the social space, which we're going to talk about today, can can play for good. And and really kind of what the businesses that we are involved with and why I think we love it so much and, and, you know, a people business. And when you see people respond to people like that, it's really kind of amazing. So, yeah. So, Joe, have you been reading the 2023 prediction stories like yeah. I have been reading the last two weeks and enjoying in, them? In between that and kind of my run for speaker of the house which i <laughs> right you, you know I'm what right now so. based on what i saw about five minutes ago you still have a chance joe so, yes, so. uh in, in fact if um, there's any way i yeah. can virtually put your name up uh i think you'd, you'd have a decent shot at getting a couple of votes certainly yeah I, I i've seen some of them i think um again predictions are sometimes worthy sometimes thought thought provoking i thought um 
you know, our colleague Chris Niari, who's on to a new job pretty soon, um, had some pretty interesting ones yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows where some of them are going to play out? I, I think, you know, if you went back a year and people were screaming about NFTs and crypto and you look at where those fields are right now, you know, everybody's got an opinion. Well, one uh, of the stories I want to mention before we get into it, and it kind of relates because we, we obviously talk about trends and and what's hot, what's not, et cetera. But the decision by Michael Rubin and Fanatics to get out of the NFT business, divesting at stake in candy, I thought was fascinating. And I particularly appreciated what he said. I read his quotes. He called it an imploding market. And he basically said, it's really not a sustainable business. I mean, and these are my words, it's currently constructed. And I know I read that story, tweeted about it yesterday. And I said, this will be, history will say that the NFT business was started with a ready fire aim approach. You and I have talked about this for the last couple of years, Joe, you know, I got into it early. No one really thought through the long-term strategy. And I think that's now clear about engagement, about utility, functionality, mobile integration, et cetera. And they paid the price. Um, When I saw that the NBA market uh, activity for December of 22 was approximately one one hundredth of it was in mm-hmm. early 21, um, it was kind of a, a stunning thing to see. And as someone, as you know, who's got who got into NBA Top Shot early, who's sitting on, I don't know, 70 or 80 moments, um, I know no one in my circle of friends and acquaintances that is engaged with Top Shot. Now, in all due respect to Dapper, they did it, they did as well as they could. But it just reminded me when I saw that uh, market drop and, and this decision by Michael that there kind of needs to be a reset on this whole thing. Cause I still think there's potential, but there really needs to be a level setting and a resetting of what this really means. So I'm psyched about the inevitable transition from 2.5 to 3.0, it will happen. And I think this year we'll see some movement. Um, but let's let's get into the show because one of the, the categories we get, the category we'll be getting into is one of the big topics and all these lists about the business and and, uh, its trends. And that is the subject of sports betting, sports wagering, and its integration with and relation to social media. So we're thrilled to have um, a very interesting entrepreneur join the show, a relatively new entrepreneur. And I wanna talk about that with his story um, who switched over from the corporate side to become an entrepreneur. But it is the, the founder of Lucra Sports. Some of you know that name because it's been out for a couple of years as a sports wagering platform. And we're thrilled to have the founder and CEO, Dylan Robbins, join us today. So Dylan, welcome to the Cusp Show. Tom and Joe, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here and chat about Lucra and all things you know, wagering and sports. And some interesting tidbits there. I had not heard that about um, Top Shot. Um, it got my mind spinning a little bit. It's certainly been an interesting year. And I followed, obviously, what Ruben said because you know, Fanatic's making the big entry into our world, obviously, in the sports exactly. betting side. Um, and uh, it's, it's an exciting time. So uh, 2023 will be a, a big year for, for our world. So excited to talk about that today. Yeah. Um, Dylan, why don't you start with the impetus to do Luke? I mean, you're such an interesting background. A Dukie who went to Stanford Business School and then went to, uh, in a direction that a lot of Stanford business school folks go to, which was into investment banking at Goldman Sachs. And then suddenly you became an entrepreneur. So 
I, I love that facet of the story, separate from the actual subject matter of sports wagering. Right. You made a big decision at a relatively young age to, to kind of pivot quite dramatically career-wise. So, so incorporate some of those thoughts into, into your background story. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, for me, it all started uh, with my family. I want to free boys, um, grew up in New York City, um, and my mom is a diehard sports fan as well. So we're a family of five, you know, all in sports fans, New York Knicks, we bleed we bleed orange, which normally is not a great thing. But this year, I'm excited. Uh, we're on a three-game winning streak for anybody who's watching. It's been a weird year, but go Knicks. Um, and, you know, sports is just always around. You know, we were playing sports, watching sports, and frankly, we're, you know, a couple undersized Robbins family men. You know, we were never really going to be professional football players. So for me, I was it, I got into the, the analytics. I got into the data. I loved, you know, playing fantasy football, looking at the stats, you know, watching and analyzing and kind of making predictions. And that led to, you know, getting into the wagering space when I went to college at Duke. Um, you know, I was an early adopter of, you know, all the big platforms from FanDuel and DraftKings. And then when Monkey Knife Fight came out and Daily Fantasy Sports, and, you know, I just was so um, engrossed in the ability to, you know, use my quote unquote skill, which I thought I had, you know, it's hard, you know, I never know. Everyone always thinks they're good at these things, but really take your own opinion and, and make a play and a decision and, and, and put a few bucks on the line. Um, and I think for me, uh, what I noticed pretty early on was two things. One, having $5 on the game changed my entire experience. You know, I was watching longer. I was watching to the last buzzer. Um, I was more engaged. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting up as often. I, it was just a more, it was a better experience. And number two is I struggled a lot to get my friends to do it with me. You know, I'm sitting on the couch with four or five other buddies who are also sports fans, but they just wouldn't engage in these platforms. They didn't feel like it was safe or they, they had some negative biases against it. Um, and they, uh, you know, they generally thought it wasn't social, right? You know, it was me versus a black box of a thousand other people that I didn't know, or me versus the bookie or me versus the casino, et cetera. Right. Um, and so I actually launched a beta for something like Lucra at Duke in 2011. Uh, it was called head to head sports, very similar concept, um, nowhere close to legal at that time. Um, but I was just a college kid with an idea and played around with it and it got a lot of traction. Um, and it was interesting. Um, then, you know, as you mentioned, I kind of went, you know, into finance and, and at Goldman Sachs and working in banking and in, in 2018 PASPA got repealed. And that was like a big aha moment for me. Um, you know, I had a real honest conversation with myself. Like I'm passionate about sports. I've been wanting to do this, something, something in this world for the last five or six or seven years. Um, and this is going to be a green pasture from a regulatory standpoint. Everything's going to change. And I say today, even in 2023, I think we're in the second inning, right? So like an inning has been played, but this is still such the beginning for our space. And so I took the leap and and um, and started Lucra in, in fall of 2019 with kind of that ethos of, of build a platform for casual fans, social, approachable, fun. You know, of course, we have many players on our platform who are avid, who play on other, other sites, but over 40% of our users, Lucra is their only platform where they make wagers. And so it's a place for, you know, the new, the newbie, right? Which in our country is most people. Most people have not played the sports bet yet. And the uh, last thing I'll say, just to pause there is, you know, I was at the Knicks game the other night and I was in my section and I always, I'm, I'm one of those people who had, at a dinner party will go around and say, do you sports bet? Do you sports bet? Because I want to hear what people are talking about. And at the Knicks game, I'll go in, in my section. And you would imagine, you know, like all young people there watching the game, it was like two of 40. So two of 40 people had placed a bet on the game. And to me, that means it's still just the on any on any forum, on anything, like on any forum, anything. Yeah. Two of the forty people yeah. I spoke to okay. said they had a bet. So I was like, okay, yeah. this is the beginning, right? Where yeah. there's still so much room to grow, 
which got me really even it just gets me more excited. You know, you said something um, in one of the things I read about you, one of the quotes in one of the stories or one of the interviews you did when I was doing my research that really stopped me and made me think about this. You used you you stated that you one of the goals was to quote meet the users where they are and how you're integrating this with SMS messaging uh, and just kind of social behavior. In other words, you're not necessarily looking <clears throat> to change fully the behavior. And I found that to be fascinating because a lot of these apps have the conceit that you kind of do have to change your behavior, which is really hard uh, yeah. in the business to, to get to do. So, so talk about that thought and maybe explain the mechanics because yeah. a lot of us are familiar with typical sports betting apps or fantasy sports app, but yours is a different. Total, totally. So just at a high level, it's a great, it's a great point. And I love to talk about that. I'll just start with, you know, what is Lucra? So Lucra is a, is a peer to peer platform where instead of wagering against the house or wagering against a casino or DraftKings, you're wagering against your friends. So every single contest is played between two people. Um, our goal is for them all to be so but you can actually also play against other other players in the platform and it's all head to head. So it, it's a it's a peer-to-peer platform that's that's quite different. You know, Lucro doesn't take any risks. We don't book any bets. We're a technology platform um, that's indifferent to the winner. So our goal is just incentivize play amongst friends. Um, and to your point, Tom, uh, our original thesis was, well, we gotta have you know chat and emojis and social all built into this thing, right? It's like we gotta bring people here for that. And I'm glad we didn't build that because when we started surveying customers, they all said the opposite. They said, I've got GroupMe, I've got WhatsApp, I've got SMS, just bring this stuff to me, right? Like, you know, bring this, I don't, I, I want to talk about my betting where I'm already talking about my betting. And I want to use Lucra as a facilitator or a platform to allow me to do that. And so we kind of pivoted our strategy and started to push a lot of our social content outside of the app. So we do a large portion of our contests are through SMS. So you can, you know, if I wanted to send Joe a contest on, you know, a football game, you know, uh, Joe Burrow touchdowns versus, Aaron Rodgers touchdowns, I could text him that. It would pop up in his text dynamic field and he could accept it right there um, with one click of a button. And then we could have our social chat about the game in our text. So we don't have to go back to Lucre all the time. So Joe's uh, not actually out. even using accessing the app to say yeah, he'll, 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 he'll click as of today, he'll click it and just it'll bring him to the app to accept. But okay. we're we're building building in this in-app plugin that's going to allow us to do all the stuff in SMS uh, itself. So the futuristic here, and hopefully in the next couple of months, is that this all integrates directly with your SMS. That when you download the Lucra app, you get a plugin for Lucra, and you can actually dynamically accept without having to go back to the app. Um, And that will allow our users to kind of, again, meet them where they, we can meet them where they are, um, which is, which is an SMS. You know, most folks say that's where I'm talking about sports is over text. And so and then let's let's play this out, Joe. I know you yeah. have a question, but so so let's say Joe didn't have Lucra, the Lucra app. He gets the text from you, and he decides it's like, oh, that's yeah. this looks like fun, right? That's kind of the growth hack that you had in mind, right? Exactly. It's like okay, I've gotten the hook now. Is instead of it being a hey Joe, here's an a thousand deposit dollar deposit match for you. Join join Lucra. It's hey Joe, I'm your friend. Here's a fun contest check it out. And then he clicks, makes an account, you know, 90 seconds, and the contest immediately pops up. So his first experience with Lucra is the social contest between us. Um, we're going to give him five bucks to do that. So he can kind of check it out, you know, free of charge. And then we engage in that, in that contest and he's now got a friend. It automatically friends us on the platform so that he sees my friend activity. So this referral engine is a big part of our, of our growth because we can't compete with the big players in terms of customer acquisition costs, nor, nor do we want to in the sense that uh, we believe that the model has to be lower cost customer acquisition to really scale. 
And so, um, yeah, to your point, that's, that's the engine we're trying to build is use the Dylans to get the Joes, to get the Toms, you know, to get the Cindy's yeah, from there and from there. So a couple questions. This is, so observation number one is it's not a new idea. It's, it's play up, kiss we mobile, um, can think of a bunch of others, even WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, the, and the difference is lessons learned from that, those predecessors, which were, a lot of them were way on very early, but some of them were still around. Um, and then you talk about lean and mean and kind of figuring that out. What's the ability to spend marketing dollars to build scale because you need scale. I mean, this is a scalable business. So, so lessons learned from others without mentioning kind of who they are um, that were rolled into this. And then how, how do you get scale without spending the massive dollars of, you know, the DraftKings and yeah, the, the yeah. Those, so. So I think the first point is an important one, which you mentioned briefly is, is timing. I mean, timing was important here. I mean, there was a reason that the second path that got repealed, I quit my job and started this is it, it, I think five years from now would be, would be too late. Somebody else would have done it. And so it was a little bit too early, five or 10 years ago. We think now is the golden window to start these types of businesses in our space. And there'll be more innovation in five or 10 years as well. So I think timing is number one. Number two is you're right, lessons learned. The big one for us was approachability. So, so when we looked at a lot of the other platforms that had come out before us, um, they were very intricate and focused on the avid better, the one to two million people in the U.S. that are really true sports betters, or maybe even the 50 million fantasy sports fans. The goal of Lucra is the 200 million people who do a Super Bowl square or do a March Madness pool or enter some sort of office pool or, or make a $5 casual, hey, Joe, I'll bet you a beer that, or, you know, Cindy, I'll, I'll bet you five bucks that, you know, that happens offline. I'm a big believer that a huge part of Venmo's float is these casual offline wagers. Right. And so Lucra's goal was let's digitize that and bring that in to, to you know, our platform. And so on the scale question, uh, there's a couple of different ways. So first and foremost, it's, it's what Tom mentioned earlier. Our referral engine needs to be our main horse, right? Product-led growth. Uh, you know, currently to date, uh, close to 40% of our users come from another user. So that's, that's huge for us. And we want to continue to grow that number. Um, incentivize people to invite their friends, have more community-based features, more social sharing features that make people want to bring on their friends. Mm -hmm. And then number two, we're going to do kind of some traditional, um, you know, paid media uh, in, in a unique way, which I'll talk about in a second. And then, and then number three is we have a strong, strong, strong college campus uh, presence. So our, our business is 18 plus, 18 to 30, 18 to 40 is our target demographic. We have over 75 college campus ambassadors across the country um, hosting events, getting the word out and helping us build that social engine. Um, but I think the main differentiator, and, and, and I don't want to go too much on a tangent because this could be a later question, is that um, we had an interesting moment in Inflection Point in spring of 2020, uh, spring of 2022. After we raised our Series A, we went and we surveyed close to a thousand of our customers. We said, what do you like about Lucra? What do you want us to change? And, and Lucre is a player-based model. So we're, you know, as I said, Rodgers versus Brady, LeBron versus Durant, kind of that fantasy style. And we always imagined what people would say was, I want to bet traditional sports, you know, Knicks, Nets, Giants, Jets, right? And it was actually the opposite. Um, what the feedback we got was, what about things outside of sports? What about cornhole? What about beer pong? What about darts? What about fitness? What about Wordle? What about, I mean, you name it. I mean, uh, we have 150 games now. And so that was an eye-opening moment for us that our casual fan is not just a sports fan. And our mission is to redefine friendly competition and 
sports is not the only way to compete. So we, we, we added a vertical called recreational games or the games you play, where you can now challenge your friends to all these things. And that has been a huge low cost customer acquisition engine because we can onboard someone playing darts or billiards or a game of Settlers of Catan for 10 to $20, right? And so that's a great customer acquisition channel in. We offer that product for free. And then we get you on our platform and we send you a push notification about the sports contests. So on the referral question, um, are there businesses that you've seen have done the referral business well, not sports businesses, just in general, that you said, we want to take, we want to be the X of, of this space. Is there one yeah. that out, who does a great job? Yeah. So I think, I think that the dating space particularly is quite interesting. So we've actually had talks around like the dating and we talk about social, you have to talk about dating, right? And so if you have all these people on, on, on our platform and they're socializing and they're engaging, you know, it's something that's come up for us. And I think that some of these, you know, some of these platforms like, like Hinge and some of these like, you know, uh, uh, dating platforms are interesting is that they have an innate referral engine is it takes two to tango, right? So Luca's a similar app is that it takes two people to engage. And so um, you, know, you see people when they have success on Hinge, they tell their friends, "Hey, this is yeah, I, I met my girlfriend or my boyfriend or, or, or on, on Hinge, right?" And so um, we're trying to do that similar on Lucra in that you know that first bet experience is so critical for us. We want to make sure there's a lot of activity after that first wager. You know, Dylan beats Joe. He wants to tell Tom immediately, "Oh wow, you got to get on this. This is this is fun." Um, so I think I think I think that's an interesting tidbit. Yeah, you know, Joe, what I was going to say partly in response to your question and Dylan's comments is that I refer to the, to the phrase growth hacker, you know, Dylan, one of the books we read in my class is growth hacker marketing. And I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of that finding product market fit, using the product, iterating on the product, listening to the audience, let them be the ambassadors, blah, blah, blah. Very influential book for me. Um, just as I thought about things when I first read it, but Joe, I think one of the problems right now is a lot of these ventures and NFTs is a good example. They were not really product-led. Products have to be appealing to users. They need to have the right UI, the right UX, and they need to be embraced by the users who then tell their friends and bring in the audience organically. What we've witnessed with a large percentage, I'd say, of these apps in the sports world is that they have a conception of what people want to do, but it doesn't really mirror reality and behavior, and they're forced to spend an enormous amount of marketing dollars to get downloads. Downloads are not good, a, a good measure of success at all. Uh, statistically, most downloads, downloaded apps are deleted within X number of days and weeks, and, and, and there's ample evidence to prove that at this point in history. So this idea that you, I think, Dylan, you called a product-led growth, like make this a great experience what people want to do. And when you think, Joe, about, for example, if we were to tell one of our friends who's just casually thinking about getting into sports betting right now, hey, download the DraftKings or FanDuel app. They kind of look the same. They're very intimidating to newbies. People don't understand the lingo. They don't understand uh, you know, the, the metrics or, or the, or the numerology they use, you know, the plus 350 or minus 170. So it's not exactly a good user experience. So, I, so I, this kind of resonates with me, Dylan, because I don't see how you do it otherwise at this point in digital history. We yeah. know this is the way to play it. 100%. I think it all comes down to brand loyalty. When you talk about UI and UX and experience, you know, that's, I think, the, one of the big struggles for a lot of the big, 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 you know, wagering companies out there right now is in a state like New York that 
just legalized, I change where I bet every weekend, depending on what the promotion is, right? I have zero brand loyalty on these platforms right now. They're all good. They all have different plus pros and cons, but nothing is so different that it's going to make me only use that platform. So where, where am I getting the best promotion? Who's giving me the best boost on the Knicks tonight, right? And that's exactly. where I'm going to go. Now, Luke, we're trying to we're trying to change that, and that the reason you stay, it's less about the winning money. That's what we're trying to get to people. Our average contest is like fifteen dollars, right? So it's not about the big win. You're not trying to bankrupt your friends. It's the smack talk and the social and the and the and the interaction and the leaderboards and the head to head stats, and that's what we're trying to kind of have the gamification and the social connections be why people stay. Yeah, they want to win money. We're not. We'd be kidding ourselves if we said that they didn't. But I think that's, you know, that's, that's, we have to lean into that because we, A, we can't compete on the customer acquisition costs in general. And B, I agree with you. I think that that's not, it's a long-term, it's a difficult and very competitive space. And I think um, the more we lean into social and approachability, you, know, you mentioned like it's complex, you know, we, we, we try to make the simplest app that we can. And every day we talk about how can we make it more simple? Mm -hmm. Like it just, it still needs work. Right. And so that's a big part of our roadmap. It's like less clicks less questions, less support tickets, asking why, like those are all like OKRs we set for ourselves. So a um, couple questions on some of the things you said. How, what percentage of your audience you would say would come in just to play versus to win money? Do you have to put money in? How does that work? And then you mentioned college campuses, which I, I think, right? Most of the college campuses, mo most gambling has to be 21 or older. Yeah, so, so Lucas. So how do you take money from people under 21 if you're, I mean, colleges have been averse to this space for that reason. Yeah. How, how does that work? But also more importantly, can you play without spending money? And, and is yeah. there value for other things? Yes. So uh, we give you a $5 risk-free lucre bucks is what we call them. Um, so you can play without, without spending any money on the platform for your first experience to try it out. At that point, then after, unless you have a promo code, so for example, our ambassadors have promo codes that can give out 10 free bucks, et cetera, you have to you know, put some money into play. So it is possible. We, we actually think it's important for everyone to be able to try our product without putting money on. Like it, 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 while you get some churn there, when people come on, they take the $5, they leave. For the most part, the people that come back and deposit after that are very highly retentive because they got to try it out. They felt the trust and the security and the safety of not having to put money up. They didn't have to put their social security number in, et cetera, before they did anything. And they, and they, and they got to... Uh, to experience that product. So we believe pretty heavily in that. Uh, on your second question, the Lucra is, is a skill-based game. So actually we aren't regulated as a sports betting company. We don't have sports betting licenses. Um, and it's, it's considered a game of skill, which is more mm -hmm. into different categories and that more of that DFS and that fantasy category. And so mm -hmm. in most, in most states, we are, we are 18 plus. And so okay. we're not partnering directly with these colleges and going to, you know, Duke university and saying, we want to launch like a Lucra on your campus. It's we're working more directly with the students. Um, and building that ambassador program. So it's more of a social kind of influence that we're having there. And so, it's been a top performer for us. So Dylan, you're about 37 states now? So we're actually, we actually are in more now. So we, with the increase of this recreational games category, which is different legality between our recreational and our sports, we're actually in over 43, we're in 43 states today wow. um, between our sports and our recreation. So there's some states we geolocate you. So there are some states where you can only play the recreational. There are some states where you can play both. And when a new state... Uh, becomes legal, do you need to actively do something to yeah. then to suss out like the, the requirements for that state to be? Totally. Legal? There's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, for example, like um, uh, Arizona recently became legal for sports betting um, and we're slowly about soon going to be 
going to be launching there, but we're never going to be the first to, first to follow. We're still a small company. So our view with our legal team is, all right, they legalize sports betting. Let's let some regulation get passed. Let's let some larger companies go in. Let's see some case law on other people. You know, it's not, we're not the size and scale to be the first entrant. And to be candid at this point, we have over 92% of the U.S. population. And so we're really conservative in the states that we operate in and why. And so um, we generally are about six months to a year behind, I would say, uh, entering a state after it becomes legalized. Dylan, can I ask your, your opinion on the larger sports betting market, which, of course, has been the darling of investors the last yeah. few years? But we've, we've seen these headwinds develop, everything from the cost of the licenses to the crazy cost of marketing, mm -hmm. uh, the, the lack of brand loyalty, as you pointed out, et cetera. There was a number that struck me hard, and Joe's aware of this because we've talked about it on the pod before, but I, I saw that DraftKings lost in 2021, their operating loss was a billion and a half dollars, and a few of the others are not far behind. The, those are insane numbers, of course, and I always wonder what trajectory is going to change to make that a better outcome for these big players or does it yeah. have to does it have to be this way for a few years yeah i don't I, so i don't i don't buy the it has to be this way for a few years and it's eventually going to work itself out i don't think that the math is going to work out that way now before i answer your question i will say to your point while they you know maybe lost a billion and a half dollars these are some, in any industry that i've ever seen these are the most sticky engaged high dollar volume customers out there i mean these people are playing i mean i'm one of them right so i know how engaging this is so there is some innate value to these customers, like versus if I'm buying a widget or you know, I'm yeah. buying a service, yeah. like these are really- So the, so the lifetime value- The lifetime value should be really high. As they yeah. say. I, I think the answer has to be consolidation. I think it's gotta be M&A. I think there's too many players and the, the sandbox is not big enough. I think there should be you know less uh, uh, power players and more innovators, right? I think that like there are different flavors for different people, but I think the only way that the math will check out eventually is some sort of consolidation event at the top. So I know it's been discussed before. Um, it'll probably be discussed again over the next couple of years. Um, but that's my my view just from experience. I have no inside, you know. Well, I mean, if you just break that. it down and, and you think about the cost structure and you say, what are the big buckets? And of course, you've got the technology and, and everything around it, application, right. backend, et cetera, which is quite expensive. You've got the marketing, and that's never really going to change as far as I understand it. Right. Um, and then you've got licenses. Eventually, those numbers will, uh, I guess, settle down, but they do need to be renewed. Right. I, I, I think the marketing is the one where, like, where you could change it. Because, for example, in the state of New York, if there are eight players. If there was consolidation, there was only two players. Instead of, the, instead of everybody having 1,000 or 2,000 customer acquisition costs, they could all bring it. They could just... And the market could settle. Like the competitive pricing could change, and they could be at two hundred dollars customer acquisition cost. Like you know, it's we're never going to be, you know, in the in so low. But there's a there's a, I think the marketing costs can go down. I mean, licensing. I mean, a lot, I think also a lot of the states um, are this hasn't panned out as they expected, right? In terms of a revenue standpoint from taxes, right? Because so much of the of the revenue has been from free play that's not that's really not taxable. That it hasn't been the exact, you know, it, you know. I, I think I read somewhere in Virginia that they, um, you know, that the, the taxable only half of the revenue was actually taxable because it, so much of it was like promotions and free play that was like carved out because it was they write that off as a loss. And so um, I just think there's, there's there's more and more you're going to see more and more licensing fees are going to go up um, 
over the next couple of years. All right, quick follow-up. I follow the public companies that are in the space, and I'll just name two, uh, DraftKings and Penn. Stocks, stock is way, way down, mm-hmm. as you, I'm sure you're quite aware. Would you consider them getting into 2023 buys, holds, or sells? I'm a buy. Uh, I'm a buy on the whole industry. So I'm a buy on, if I could buy an ETF with all those companies together. Yeah, but the, but the I, ETFs have suffered too. As yeah, you probably, I know. Yeah. I, I, it, 2022 was a bad year. It was, it was a correction. Just like you yeah. talked about with NFTs, yeah. this thing got overblown. Valuations got overblown. Like it was, it was, it was needed. But I, I still think there's value there, especially as consolidation may happen, as M&A may happen, um, whether they can c- combine together or buy smaller companies that, that increase value as they expand into new states, into new markets, as they diversify their products, as they build more content. I think that I think it's a buy. Um, is, it, is it like a massive buy? I don't know. But I, I still think that it's a it, I, would, I would buy. So so I have the 4D glasses, and I will nail you there in my basement, which everybody said was a buy at some point, too. But, Sounds good. Uh, so question question on the licensing side. Um, you know, we've talked on this podcast before about the loopholes where data is in the public domain and, you know, there are ways not to be licensees and that the leagues have tried to crack down on that. On the casual gaming side, I'm curious, like if you go and have, I don't know, pick a game, chess. Chess isn't a good example. Um, Stratomatic baseball. And you use, you have two players who are playing any game. How do you get, is there an issue with you them using names for, which are for-profit names? Like, do you actually, you actually able to use the name Tom Brady versus the name, um, um, I yeah, Rogers, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, really. Um, anyway. So it's still in the holiday mode, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so we, so we pay for all the license data. So wow. while we are, while we aren't licensed, like as a sports betting company, we pay for the license data, headshots, wow. data, yeah, all that type of stuff. Um, for your for your point, and the industry is it's aggregated now. Like, so instead of having to go to the NFL, the NBA, whatever, yeah, like sport radar, sport radar, exactly, sport radar, and you buy the data from okay. Yeah, you buy the what, data what about on the gaming side? How does that work? I'm curious. How does that work on the on the the casual game side? Could somebody from World of Warcraft? Right. So you have to purchase our stuff. How does it, yeah. How does it work? Yeah. So, so we on the copyright and trademark side, we don't use anybody's logos that we don't have a partnership with, but we're we're able for our legal team to use their name. So, for example, like you know, we have the FIFA video game. We don't have their logo, just a soccer ball, and it says FIFA, right? Um, and so, especially because all of this is manual input at this time, you know, if, if Tom and I played a game of FIFA, we would just determine the winner and then enter our results into Lucra. Um, that's kind of how we tailored it on our side of the business today. Okay, here, here's the follow-up question. You're on college campuses, NIL. How does it work with player from St. John's against player from Seton Hall? Yeah, so at this moment, there's no college sports on Lucra. Uh, it's been a conservative decision that we've made for that reason, uh, for, two, for two reasons. One, the NCAA has not really made a, a clear-cut decision on how they want to view this stuff. A lot of our competitors, by the way, are, are doing this. They're, you can go on a lot of them and, and get college sports. Because we're a player-focused model, um, and player fairness and player integrity integrity is so important. We have just we have not done it to date, but I'll say it's something we're actively thinking about. We're continuing to analyze it every three months. We check back in in on it, and and it's something that I think you'll see in our product at some point. But to date, uh, it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't exist in our platform. Cool. So, one more set of questions, or one question related, and then we can get into our final segment, which we warned you about. Um, 
That transition from being a Goldman Sachs guy to an entrepreneur, you seem very, very energized by this, as you should be yeah. as yeah. a founder and CEO. But yeah. you, you seem like you've got the religion on this. You seem very excited about it, which is wonderful to, to uh, witness. What's it like, that change that you made career-wise? Yeah, um, it was the right thing for me. And I didn't know that I needed to do it until I did it. Um, you know, I kind of grew up always thinking I was going to work in finance. I studied economics. Uh, you know, that's what I thought I wanted to do. Um, and I think that it wasn't a bug I knew I had until until I tried it. So I think, you know, we'll talk later about, you know, things I would I would recommend for folks. I think that's one of the questions uh, for the end of the segment. Um, but I think that one of the most interesting learnings is you know, I worked I worked really hard at Goldman Sachs. That's a hard job. Investment banking at Goldman, I was working. I won't have to go into the details because some of my old bosses could be listening to the podcast. Um, but it was a hard job. And I work harder now. Right. But I work I work more hours and I'm more but I'm more energized than I've ever been. I mean, it doesn't feel like work. Right. You know, I'm, I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. That old cliche, if you're working on something you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like you're working a day in your life. And mm-hmm. um, especially in our industry, I work Saturdays, I work Sundays. You know, it's, it's the busiest time of the, of the week for us is Saturday and Sunday. Um, but I love sports like, you know, I, I love to watch. I love to play. I get to engage um, and I'm surrounded by people on our team who are equally passionate about that. So I think. The transition for me has been um, more of just a lifestyle change, just like the way that I feel and and the way that I kind of like you know lean into work instead of it just being something that I that I just did because you know I had to, um, and that's been a big change. So, quick follow up. So, you've had to build a team. How big is it now, by the way? We're about we're about twenty people. Twenty. So, as you recruit, do, are you looking for certain traits? that indicate that willingness to kind of go all in on the entrepreneurial experience? Yeah, hundred percent. And, and, what are, and so that, talk yeah. about those traits that yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. And this is, a, this has been a learning, by the way, I won't, won't claim to have been a hiring expert at the beginning. And I certainly am not now, but we've you know, now hired about 20 people and I've gotten the sense that like number one characteristic is hustle. That's like the word that we put on the top of our job descriptions on every single role. Um, you know, work ethic and hustle is really important. And, and Goldman Sachs did teach me that. So I owe Goldman for that. Right. Like, and you know, I, I think that that's, and that's, you know, we look at people who have had roles where they've had to hustle, they've had to work hard. Uh, I think number two is like, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost like um, jack of all trades is like the characteristic. It's like willing to step across the aisle, um, the, the yearning to want to be part of multiple teams. Oh, I work in marketing, but I want to learn about design or I work in development, but I also want to learn a little bit about sales. Like at a team of 20, everybody's kind of doing anything. Um, and I think number three is positive attitude. Like it's just, you want somebody who wants to be there, right? Like I'd rather have a person who's really passionate and positive about what we're doing, but maybe doesn't have like 10 years of experience versus the person who's super experienced, uh, the perfect role, like on paper, but it just isn't that passionate or positive. Right. And so like energy and positivity, like, as you can see from me, that's like my MO. I try to breathe that into everything we do from the top down. And I think we're trying to make that a big part of our hiring as well. Nice. All right, Joe. Do you have any last questions about Lucre or Dylan? No, I, before I'm we... interested in getting to the the last two pieces. So. Okay, why don't you why don't you tee it up? Yeah. So um, we ask all of our guests, as you were well warned, Dylan, um, <laughs> with all the places you've, especially with the places you've worked and and the the, uh, the areas that you've touched. How do you stay up to date? Who do you listen to? What do you read? Um, how do you follow people? Uh, what platforms do you use? Uh, and then the second question is. You touch a little bit about the advice, but like, not just for people starting out, but people now kind of transitioning to, and because you obviously had a pretty right. 
nice little transition. So how do you stay up to date? What do you follow? And then what is the advice that, that you give to people as they're walking in the door? Yeah. So I stay up to date in kind of two distinct ways. So first and foremost, I have a really, really valuable founder group chat that I'm part of from my Stanford days. So about 35 people from my Stanford business school class started companies. Um, and it's just been an incredible wealth of knowledge. Like people who are two years ahead of me, one year ahead of me, you know, at the same stage as me, a little bit behind me. And it's just, just like pay it forward group where, oh, hey, I need a new accounting firm. Who should I hire? Or hey, I'm hiring my first product manager. What questions did you ask? Like it has just been a like incredible wealth of information. So I would, you know, I just urge folks who are founding companies just get around other founders, whether they're in your space or not. They're dealing like a lot of this stuff is like the same across industry about how you get these things going and the legal side of it and you know how you hire people and how you you know handle performance marketing and etc. So that has been like a big mentorship community for me. Um, in terms of how I stay informed, I, I'm pretty uh, focused on like social media as my outlet because we're building a social media company. So I'm not reading the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal as much as probably I should be. It's more you know it's Instagram heavy, Twitter heavy. Um, you know, following folks, I've listened to podcasts all in, as you mentioned, is, is my favorite one uh, to date. Um, but, you know, just kind of like, you know, being in the loop on news, especially in sports. So for me, in the sports side of the business, I follow all the sports accounts. Um, and that's where I consume a lot of my a lot of my news. So um, it's been kind of a, a blend of those two things. It's on, my, it's on my list for 2023 to read more books. It's one thing I don't do enough of. Um, but that's that's kind of my current goal for the, for the new year. And the advice side? So on the advice side, I think my biggest piece of advice is to start earlier. If you want to be an entrepreneur, why wait? I think, you know, I, I turned 30 in a couple of days, um, which I know is, uh, uh, to me, it feels very like, it's like I'm like halfway there. I don't know. It's like kind of crazy 30 years old. Holy cow. Um, but I, a lot of founders I'm seeing now are 20, right? And it's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with failing. And I kind of wish I started earlier. So um, I would say start early, fail fast. Don't be afraid to try. Um, you know, the, the, some of the biggest you know, successes have come out of failure. And so um, that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I, that I give to folks who are, who are interested in entrepreneurship is don't be afraid to take the leap when you don't have kids and you don't have a mortgage. Like it's a good time to take a, take a risk. Cool. A quick, a quick follow on to that last point. And this is something I meant to bring up earlier, Dylan, but, but we can tie this to this, to that answer. You, you jumped in, you had that impulse to do it. The sports fan, you kind of, the paps, a decision, stuff like that. You somehow figure out a way to raise a lot of money for some for some big names, including Raptor Capital, uh, Mark Lazary, et cetera, some yeah. famous athletes, John Isner and the the Ertzes and um, yeah. really impressive. How did you do that? That's a good question. I think it's similar to the to the hustle positivity attitude. I mean, look, I'm very candid with a lot of people. I probably spoke to 400 or 500 investors over the course of six months. Like I made it a mission that I wanted to start this company. It was the right timing, right? Like people were just starting, you know, Passport had just got repealed. Like timing was important, but it was not an easy thing. I mean, many, many, many venture funds had sin or vice clauses where they would take two or three meetings with me and then get to the point and say, oh, actually like our LPs don't allow us to do this because we can't touch anything in wagering. So I had plenty and plenty of failure. And I kind of tell people, you should expect kind of like one in 10 or one in 20 as like a hit rate for venture capital or investing. And so we have about 50 people on our cap table now, probably spoke to 500 people. And so it was a, and, and it, it is a, once the train gets rolling type of situation, once Mark Lazary invested, that was a big moment for us, right? And so having Mark on our cap table, he brought in some other players with him. Um, then, the, then the momentum starts to go. So it really only takes one really strong partner 
um, to get that momentum, but it's, it's a, it's a numbers game. It's kind of how I, how I view it. And, you know, unless you're like the Elon Musk of the world, which I'm not where you have this crazy technology. Like for us, it was pitch the story, pitch the vision to a lot of people. Um, and that was the plan. What resonated the most, by the way, with that, with that 10% or whatever the percentage. Yeah. Was. Yeah. I think it was definitely, it was definitely the, uh, let's not target the 2 million, let's target the 200 million. I think market size was important that like there are 190 million people out there who we think want to bet or are placing a bet and don't even think about traditional betting, right? And so it's like, it's a big market. We don't have to hit a home run to win here. We can hit a single and it's still a massive market opportunity. And I think that was uh, well well received. Dylan, we don't have ads on the cusp show, but we do like to say to everybody at the end of, of, uh, of their visit with us, um, Feel free to promote what you'd like yeah. as we wrap up. Uh, so let's say 30 seconds of pitching on, on, yeah. on Lucra. Go no, no, no problem. I appreciate it. Well, look, for, for folks who are listening who are interested, uh, Lucra's for everybody. As you heard me say a variety of times today, even if you've never placed a wager before, you have $5 free to play. I actually had our team make a code Columbia. So if you type in promo code Columbia, oh, you nice. get an Thank extra you. $5. So you'll get to $10. Um, and you and you can and you can challenge Ooh. your friends. Yeah, go big. You can challenge your friends to anything, right? Whether it's a sports contest or a game you play uh, in your recreational life, um, it's just all about fun. And so, if you want to check it out, feel free to download it. Um, but I really appreciate you guys taking me on today. It was, it was a great chat. I learned a lot as well. So, yeah. uh, really, oh, nice. really informative. Well, thank you for doing that for Columbia. We we'll start a new semester um, yeah. in what two weeks, and I will be sure to mention that. So keep that code live for we'll keep it live. To leave. Okay, we appreciate that. Yeah. Um, wow, what a great story. Congrats on your success to date. Um, really, really nice. Uh, and we rarely allow Duke people to come on. So this actually works out. Oh, really well. that's good. I get a, I get a, I get a bonus. That's nice. Um, yeah, that's funny. Um, Joe, anything you want to add? No, I, I wish you luck. I think it's uh, like I said, it's it's timing is everything. And, and it's, it, as I said, there've been a lot of people who've gone down this fan versus fan thing. I mean, honestly, that's where Facebook started, you know? Yeah. So, so if you haven't watched a social network again, the other night is a quaint movie, by the way, now, Tom. So, of course. Yeah. Um, Remember, but, get rid of, get rid of the, but, you know, but sometimes the simplest ideas with the right tech and the right user experience, as Tom always talks about it, is what wins out. So we wish you luck and uh, hopefully you'll have at least, Tom's got 19 students. That's $190 in, in, in Columbia credit. Really? That's a big yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to do it too, Joe. So that's, that's too That's funny. That's funny. And we should make it, we, it was 210 because I'm, I'm hoping after this really good pitch from Dylan, you do it as well. And we'll throw in Cindy too. So there we go. Funny. All right. Well, uh, Dylan Robbins, founder and CEO of Lucra Sports, fascinating story. Would like to encourage listeners to at least check it out. Uh, yep. no, you know, no, no strings attached, but I think one of the things I like to do for myself and I encourage students to this and any mentees I have is it's easy to talk about this stuff, but you really need to check things out for yourself. And one way to do that, of course, is to download these apps, play with the app, see what you think. And if it works for you, great. Tell your friends, send Joe a bet about this weekend's NFL games. And if it doesn't, delete the app, move on. But um, I love the philosophy of the growth hacker marketing. I think that's what's been a superpower of the of the businesses that have been most successful. Oh, I do have one more question, oh, actually. Wow. Last question. I was literally about to wrap it up. Um, have you looked at politics? Like, like yeah. 
So there's a really interesting business called Kalshi, uh, which I recommend checking out um, in our world. Uh, they were just, I think, approved recently by the CFTC. And they have taken the approach of like, you know, how many COVID cases are going to be today? Who's going to be the next president? It's wow. in our world of skill-based, just kind of a different uh, different world. So uh, we thought about it. We talked about it. Um, I think it's a different lane. I, I, I use the product. I like what they're doing. Again, it's like, you know, there's so many different niches in the market right now. We're kind of targeting ours, but I do think eventually, Joe, you'll see consolidation of all this into one into one place. But that is, uh, politics is a good one. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting whole sidebar we could have about that. Joe, I'm going to text you in a few minutes and, and bet you that Jim Jordan gets more votes than Donald Trump in the next, in the 22nd round <laughs> of the speaker race. Anyway, with that, we're going to move on. Um, Dylan, thanks so much. Thanks really for having appreciate me. your time, we, and we wish you well with uh, the success uh, and the, the growing success of Lucra. We can't wait to see how it plays out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Cindy, for producing, as always, and we'll see happy everybody in the next episode. Happy yeah, happy New Year. Happy Thanks, everyone.